but the ability that we that we understand and we're willing to talk about it transparently has helped the other foster parents and adoptive parents in our church feel understood and it has allowed the broader church as a whole to feel like that they can better empathize with them. Hello and welcome to another episode of Law and Church, a podcast for church leaders. My name is Brian Fitton. I'm here with Josh Bryant, managing attorney at Church General Counsel and an ordained pastor. Josh, this episode uh, you interviewed Charlie Lofton of the Grove Church, and uh, he's obviously someone I know and someone who has inspired me. So I'm really excited about your interview that you had with him. Uh, but what are kind of your uh, your opening thoughts to this? Well, you know, you weren't in here at the time, but I did have to apologize to him for having to put up with you uh, <laughs> on on staff. I believe it. <laughs> <laughs> so. You know, Charlie's a great guy. I really enjoyed getting to meet him and talk to him about his heart for adoption. And I'm glad that um, uh, he was able to come on as we wrap up uh, National Adoption Awareness Month and really the role that the church needs to play in that and some of the legal issues that surround that. Um, but one of the things that I loved hearing him say was that their foster care ministry kind of organically grew because he led the way, not verbally, not from the pulpit, but from the DHS training room and and getting involved in actually being a foster parent and being an, an adoptive parent, and it led to a situation where uh, you know others rallied around them and saw the vision and caught the vision and caught the passion, and then they started doing it, and then they were able to have real conversations with one another to take care of one another and 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 minister to one another in difficult circumstances through these foster care situations, and so. Uh, man, the leadership of the senior pastor, uh, if you're going to reach the least of these, if you're going to reach hurting and broken children, which Jesus said, let the children come to me and f- don't forbid them for the, such as the kingdom of heaven, we, we need to be going after these kids. Uh, these kids are broken. They're in need of a Savior. Their parents are broken. They're in need of a Savior. And so the leadership of the senior pastor and being able to get their church involved in that type of a ministry uh, I think is crucial. Uh, and Charlie's got some great wisdom on that. Absolutely. And you guys, I mean, really, with even our own personal story, I mean, he dove into uh, and dove into a lot of that. And so that's, I mean, it's been a, it's had a huge effect on on our lives. And so I'm, I'm really excited about this interview. Well, let's, uh, let's go ahead and jump into that right now. All right. Well, welcome back to the Lawn Church Podcast. We're wrapping up National Adoption Awareness Month, uh, talking with Charlie Lofton. Charlie is the senior pastor at the Grove Church in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Charlie, welcome. Glad to have you on the hey, podcast Hey, man. Today. Thanks Thanks for having me. Man, it's going to be great. Hey, so the Grove Church is kind of known here in Northwest Arkansas. You, you know, we're all right kind of here in the same, same corner of the state, but the, the Grove Church is known in Northwest Arkansas as being a very adoption and foster family friendly church. And so I wanted to bring you on and just kind of talk from a ministry perspective how you guys actually execute some of the things that we've talked about somewhat in a theoretical capacity up right. until now. So let, let me just jump in and say how how is your church recruiting its foster and adoptive families and kind of just encouraging people to take that leap of faith and jump into to helping kids out? Well, as with a lot of things, at some point it kind of feels more organic. But I, I mean, it's it started with when we first moved here um, a little bit over nine years ago, we had been really involved in central Arkansas with the call ministry when we were with Fellowship Bible Church there. And we were, I was a, the, 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 the lead of a church in Cabot, Arkansas, and we were the second county, the first one outside of Pulaski County to bring the call 
to to a different county and and so our our church there had just been really engaged with this ministry called the call which is very which is purpose is to recruit um, Christians to be more involved in foster care and adoption and then when we moved here um, was when that ministry was getting launched here in Northwest Arkansas and they found out about it and like the banquet was like one week or two weeks after we moved here and they asked if I would come and speak and was very glad to very excited about helping bring that here to Northwest Arkansas. And then there was a lady in the in the church who was also on the board for the Northwest Arkansas section of that. And it was really soon after that, it was pretty soon after we moved here, just a few months that we really felt, we've been thinking about it for a while as a family, of becoming foster parents ourselves through adoption. And so we moved here in August of 2010, and that following February is when we started the process. And it was about almost nine months later that we, we became formalized. And, and it was it was interesting. On that Sunday morning, I was like, hey, we've just become foster parents, guys. So one Sunday, we're going to walk in here to church. We're going to have kids that aren't ours, and we want to respect their privacy. So just just so you guys will be aware and all right, you know, we've been talking about it, just just talking about our journey, just even on Sunday mornings is our, our journey of going through it. People knew that we were doing it. And in one of those kind of God moments that night was when Layla was born and it's a, a newborn baby. She was born on that Sunday night. They called us on Tuesday. We brought her home on Thursday. We joke it's our 48 hour pregnancy story. And then she was our she was in our home for six or seven months when it became official that we'd be able to adopt her, and then eleven months total was after we adopted her. And so now we're walking around with this family that has a fourteen year old, eleven year old, and a newborn, and we are essentially a walking billboard for non traditional families through foster care and adoption. And the more we just kind of told that story, and the more we just kind of are living that story, it's like our family seems normal to us. But we just kind of noticed that everybody, like anytime they would see our family, it was just like a testimony of what they should do. And we were just very honest about it. I talk about adoption a lot. And so it's been less programmatic as much as less that and more just people seeing us and just naturally and constantly talking about it. And so then next thing you know, these two families are doing it. And then a family or two that's connected with that family will. And it just kind of I don't want to say it just kind of happened like it wasn't intentional or it wasn't strategic, but I would say it was significantly more organic, especially when key leaders, and then in this instance, the the lead pastor of the church is kind of the primary example of it. That is interesting because I know several churches where um, you know they really don't have any foster parents, or they have some foster parents, but the church doesn't really take care of them all that well. There's not you know, respite care and, 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 you know, outside of the Sunday school class or the cell group, there's not really a whole lot going on. But in the churches that I know who are really knocking it out of the park in terms of foster care, they have senior leaders in the church who are really leading by example. They're showing the church, this is how it's done. And, and you know, I'm not going to encourage you to do something and, and kind of throw you out there to the wolves and, you know, not be willing to bite the bullet myself. So that, uh, I think that's got to be an important, yeah, for an, sure. <clears throat> important component of it. So when it when it comes to helping your uh, your your church family get equipped and, and then encouraged to um 
you know, kind of sustain themselves through uh, really difficult times in foster care. It sounds like you've already got the call who's there to kind of help you with some of the equipping stuff. So you've got you've got the parachurch coming alongside like we talked about right. last week. What are some other things that you do in, in order to really equip and and, and encourage uh, these families through really difficult times? Well, the the. the one of the simplest and I would say easiest things that we do is that we, we hold regular um, uh, date nights for them where we offer child care at the church for free for them. And then on occasion have surprised them when they come to drop off their kids with gift cards for them to go use for, um, for their date night. And just this recognition that, man, all parents really – need a break and need to be able to focus on each other, but especially those who have taken in people, taken in kids that, you know, through, through foster care or have adopted kids that are going through some really rough times, even more do they need just some time just to focus on their marriage? Because I think that is probably the, the relationship that becomes under the most strain um, is the marriage. Like when you've got crisis kids in your home or you suddenly have multiplied the number of kids in your home, everybody starts focusing on the the kids, the newest kids, the, the, mo- the kids that are the most hurting. It's a natural instinct. And then you start prioritizing and then the least amount of energy you have left over is for your spouse when in fact that is the most important relationship that is going to keep the whole operation going. Yeah. And so that I would say that is our that is a primary for us is investing in the marriage. So not only through date nights, but just in making sure that the leaders in our church, uh, whether it's it's my wife and I, Heidi, us specifically, or someone else, spending one on one time with those couples, with just the intent of how are you doing, how is it going for you guys, and so as counterintuitive as it might be to say that you've got you've got these kids in these rough situations that are now part of your church, what's the best way to take care of them? As counterintuitive as it might be, I would say the primary thing is to not consider the kid at all, but to consider the the marriage, because that's the primary vehicle by which that kid's going to get taken care of. But obviously, the kid has a great time um, at the date night. Um, all of our all of our kids' workers in our kids' classrooms are aware of of that, that we do this in our church and are, and are equipped and are let, you know, anytime a, a kid with a special circumstance is, is in one of their classes, they're made aware. We, we train them on how to love them well. That specific kid, not just kids in general, hey, you're going to have this kid in your class and we want to show them extra love. And we've just over communicated, not over communicated in a bad way, but just communicated with our people like these are the kids who need the most love. They are, they are not the disruptions. To our kids' ministry, they are they are drivers of the kids' ministry. And honestly, to kind of go back to something I said before, the fact that we were the first ones to foster and adopt in our church, um, everybody's going to naturally rally around if the lead pastor adopts and brings in a newborn. And suddenly that culture of, this is cool, this is awesome, how can we help, how can we help, how can we help, is just built. And so in addition to all the programmatic things that our church is doing and the intentional things, I've just noticed that um, the people in our church just have now have an attitude because we've talked about it so much. They just have an attitude that says, this is awesome. How can we love them? Yeah, man, that's awesome. So <clears throat> I want to jump into one more thing, and I'm going to have a kind of a follow-up question. I think that'll wrap all of this around. But let me ask you, how do you, 
how are you able to minister to and take care of the biological parents of these children who are removed from their home, as well as uh, the children uh, who come into your your church? How 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 is your church working to to kind of put your arms around them and and take love take care of them and love on them as well? So the biological parents of the kids that are that we're fostering, you know, by and large, we have not had much interaction with 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 the biological parents. One of the things that I that I have been able to spend a lot of time doing is, um, equipping the the foster parents to do that because I'm not I'm not interacting with the biological parents, but you know I have a lot more training and equipping personally in how to deal with someone who's in a broken situation and understanding why people think and react the way that they do in ways that you know your typical middle class. Northwest Arkansas person is like, I don't interact with people like this ever. And so just to be able to sit down and I've had lunch again with, with, with several parents who are struggling with this, where it's like, I'm trying to do this. We're trying to do these visits and we bring the kid and this happens and this happens and, and the mom does this and the dad does this. And it's, and it's not that they're angry with them. You can just tell that there's this sense of they just don't know what to do. And so being able to equip somebody how to show grace to someone who who really in practice has caused the problems that now those problems have been imported into your home. And so it, it's real easy to view them as the enemy, but it's like to help people understand that person has a story that you don't know. And really that parent is probably the result of what the kid who's now in your home, like they, they, they've got a story that bad yeah. or or worse, and someone awful circumstances that we can't put our mind around led this mom or this dad to be this kind of person, and they deserve the same level of grace that the two year old. You, it's easy to look at a two year old and say two year old didn't do this to himself, but you look at the 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 twenty four year old and think, well, you're doing this to the two year old, but when in reality. It was life and somebody else that did that to them, and so I'm gonna we're gonna break the cycle with the kid, but then we're also gonna show a tremendous amount of grace to the parent as well. Yeah, you know, and I get this question a lot, where a church will call and say, you know, we've got a sex offender who's coming to our church, and we really don't know what to do, and you know, we 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 don't really want to say go home uh, because this person is in need of grace and and has the ability to repent and be forgiven as much as the next guy. Um, what I don't hear a lot of is, hey, we've got this foster child in our home and the biological parents are coming. We really don't know what to do. And I think we're going to start seeing more and more of that as as churches independently, along with the, the parachurch ministries that have grown up, come alongside these churches and, and start helping them. Um, interact um, and and really, like you said, equip those um, those foster families in your uh, in your church how to interact with the biological parents. <clears throat> you know, some of the uh, the best um, advice that I got um, was, you know, you're a missionary um, when you do this. This is not. Um, a civic duty, and if, if if you want to think of it as a civic duty, that's fine. But first and foremost, as a follower of Christ, you're a missionary to that child to the ex- you know most the greatest extent that you can. A lot of times there are legal issues about proselytizing children, right. you know, foster children. So 
you kind of have to kind of maneuver that a little bit, but just bringing them to church and exposing them to the things of God is enough. Um, and, and spending time in prayer, just like you would normally do at dinner time, and right. and devotions and things like that. So. Uh, you know, equipping families to be able to do that, be a missionary to that child, but then as visitations and reunification issues start to come up, really starting to befriend that other person um, and and showing them the same grace that we need to be showing sex offenders and right. drug dealers and others who come to our church who just have a, a sinful story just like we do, you know? <laughs> uh, so, you know, it's really imperative. Uh, you know, I think, and I love the fact that you guys do these date nights, you surprise them with gift cards because they are doing gospel work probably more so than people just going door to door evangelizing, you know, no that just doesn't really work anymore, you know? Right. And so, so those who are actually, you know, bringing up a kid who's been taking away, taken away from his or her parents and working with those, adop- those uh, biological parents as well, they are doing a gospel work and man pouring into those guys and investing in those guys is so so important. So let me wrap up with one last question. How has your experience as a foster parent enabled you as a church leader uh, both to understand what the the foster parents are going through and being able to really have real conversations with them about some of their difficulties but also how you lead your church through some of the even some of the legal uh, ramifications of having foster children in your church in terms of like you said the privacy issues and things like that so how has your experience really equipped you to be able to be a better uh, pastor to to those in your church well I think I think the the, the primary benefit is I sat through all the training yeah. I've I've listened to DH workers talk and spill out what all the rules are and what you know I mean just at a at a simple, at the simplest one, which is you know you can't post a picture of them on social media. You right. can't, and so, so all the people now in our church who who take pictures that we will post on our church website or put out on Facebook or whatever, everybody who is responsible for any media knows that, yeah. and they they know who those kids are. And we say we can we I can't put them in a picture. Maybe if I if I get them in a picture, maybe I'll take it and I can send it to that to that foster parent, but we can't publicize that. And so our experience and knowing these, knowing these rules is allowed us kind of to make sure that we have all of the appropriate policies from, from our, from our kids ministry all the way to, again, to, to our media team, which most, a lot of senior leaders wouldn't even think, Hey, I need to make sure my media team knows if you're going to make a video and we're going to show it on Sunday, you shouldn't put that kid in that video. But these are the things that I'm aware of. And then also just having navigated what can be a difficult process in interacting week to week, month to month with DHS. And to me, I don't say anything negative about them. They have some of the hardest jobs of anybody in the world. They see the worst that this world is doing. Yep. And the fact that they can navigate it at all makes them very brave. But at the same time, the process can feel frustrating. And so having lived that process and the ups and downs and the confusion and the emotions of it and to the point to where, you know, almost at the 11th hour after they had all but promised that we were going to be able to adopt our daughter, it seemed like it was all going to be taken away and having lived through that and knowing what that feeling is like. And then just to be able to, again, you tell that story and and so if I'm interacting with someone who is a foster parent, that connects with them. But then if I'm interacting with someone who isn't, that helps them. And it's like it's just like having walked through it emotionally 
And then, again, just being transparent about it. It's one thing if we had just walked through it emotionally but kept it private. Yeah. But the ability that we that we understand and we're willing to talk about it transparently has helped the other foster parents and adoptive parents in our church feel understood. And it has allowed the broader church as a whole to feel like that they can better empathize with them. Yeah. So I think that's probably one of the the bigger deals really in in church world, uh, you know, across the country, especially when we're talking about adoption, foster care, but, you know, any kind of churches, and we we, we run into these issues about talking through things transparently. Um, You know, I think a lot of people will watch the the real emotional videos and and the pleas to be a foster parent or adopt, and it'll tug on their heartstrings, and, and they'll jump in. And they'll really get emotionally invested before they understand what they're really getting into. And, you know, we've seen it in terms of uh, of adoption, but I know what happens in terms of foster care as well sometimes is that people get so excited, they get so emotionally invested in doing this that not only do they understand not understand that they're going to be caring for a child who's been, um, you know, victimized or abused and, and what really that means behaviorally for that child, but they also tend to sometimes shut down their ethical mm. radar mm. Uh, because they think, well, this is just the most ethical thing you can do. We're, we're doing James 127 here, right? right? We're, we're right smack dab in the middle of God's will. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but because of that, they kind of shut off their ethical radar, and a lot of times they can just be duped into some really unethical things. And it's been in the news here lately, both here in northwest Arkansas and other parts of the country as well, as some adoption scams have just started to unravel and – and people have seen that. And so it's important that as church leaders, as we call people to fulfill James one twenty seven, and as we call people to, um, to, to live out in, in a real manifest way, Romans 8, talking about that spirit of adoption, as we do that, we also need to say, don't turn off that ethical radar. Make sure you know what you're getting into. Count that cost because um, it, it is um, – it is just a difficult process, and it's emotionally sure. a difficult process. It's sometimes financially a difficult process. It's legally a difficult process, psychologically a difficult process. I mean, it's just it's very, very complicated and very, very difficult. So, Charlie, any last thoughts as we wrap up? Yeah, I mean, I just – Mark, a guy who's on staff at our church as well, he and I were talking about this. We're studying the book of Esther right now, and the way the book of Esther gets told um, – it's just like it, everything everything in the story is good. You know, Esther is loved by the king and she gets chosen to be the new queen and that's great and then she trusts God and all these good things happen. When in fact, what happens to Esther all the way up until the point that she becomes queen, it's it's actually a pretty dark story of what happens to her. And we do that with a lot of Bible stories. We kind of sanitize them, we kind of clean it up and really the point of the story ends up when good people do good things, God does good things. And that's the point. And so if the Bible stories get sanitized like that, then we feel like we've got to do the same thing to our story. Yeah. And so then we end, we're tricking people into doing this. Yeah. If you'll do it, God will be with you and everything's going to be great and perfect because when good people do good things for God, it always goes great and perfect. But there aren't any Bible stories like that. No. And there are very, very few real stories like that. All the stories are real and difficult, and if and if a church is going to really love families like this well, 
we are going to have to acknowledge and get in the dirt with them. Yeah. This is a this is an ugly, dirty story. In a perfect world, you would there would be no need for foster parents. So we're already this is we're already broken, and so now we're just going to jump into that brokenness. And I'm going to be honest with you about it, and I want you to be honest with me about it because it's only when we're honest about what's going on that we can provide them with what they need. But if we if we live in an environment where we have to pretend that our life is a Christmas card or a sanitized Bible story, then we're never going to be able to love people well. Yeah. It's like the, the old Tim Hawkins uh, objection to uh, painting the story of the flood Noah's Ark uh, in, in the baby's room, you, yes. you know, and then, yes. and then next I'm doing the stoning of Stephen in the teenager's room, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, good stuff. All right. Well, Charlie, thanks so much for being on. I appreciate uh, the way you lead your church and your heart for uh, children and, and heart for uh, adoption and foster care. We look forward to seeing what God continues to do through your church and what God continues to do th- uh, with, with children all across our country as we uh, continue to address this adoption and foster care crisis. So Charlie, thank you. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me. You know, Josh, a lot of the stuff that Charlie talked about in that interview, uh, like it's, like I said in the beginning, has rang true in, in my own personal life. And so, um, you know, I've heard his story before. We've been a part of, of his life. And so what were kind of your, your uh, final thoughts? You know, what really kicked this off uh, this month is we spent the entire month talking about adoption, uh, which wasn't really planned. It was just that's kind of the way the chips fell and where God kind of led us. Uh, was this notion that in the adoption world there are things that happen, and, and in the foster care world there are things that are that are happening right now across the country that bring our ethical mores into question. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I'm heavily involved in a case right now where um, a, a gentleman was basically selling children uh, to people of faith who um, wanted to help, wanted to help a child. Um, but he was really just doing so under horrible circumstances. And, and so, and we know that that's not even the worst case scenario, that there are other things that are even worse happening. And so, you know, one of the things that Charlie uh, brought up and that we were able to kind of talk about was this idea of not turning off your ethical radar. Yeah. You know, when, when, when you as a senior pastor lead your congregation to go and be foster parents and to minister to foster parents, it's important that even though we commend them, we pat them on the back, we tell them, hey, this is the pure and undefiled religion that James was talking about. You're you know, manifesting your own adoption into God's family. This is all great. We need to encourage that. We need to promote that. But we also need to say, watch out, mm-hmm. because there are sheep in wolves' clothing coming into churches and coming into religious communities, particularly Christian communities, and duping potential adoptive parents into doing some really unethical things yeah. and they don't even know it yeah. they're, they're yeah. just unknowing accomplices uh, to this and so you know you've got to got to keep that ethical radar on and that doesn't stop when you're using a child protective services of the government to do that I've heard of cases where um, you, you know foster parents were in a situation where they were about to take in a new child they specifically asked does this kid sexually ask, uh, act out and the answer was no. And they wanted to know because they had other kids in the home. Mm-hmm. And Child Protective Services not only lied to them and told them that everything was fine, 
that child offended against one of their other children. Yeah. Okay. And so you've got to have that ethical radar and you've got to go into it with your eyes wide open. We've got to do it. We've got to take the risk. It's the right risk to take because there are children and families out there who are broken and need Jesus. Mm -hmm. But... You, you've got to go into it with your eyes open and paying attention. Yeah, absolutely. No, I completely agree. That's That was a great interview, and I'm, I'm really glad that we did this, too, for National Adoption Month. I mean, it's definitely one of those things that needs to be paid attention to, and so um, I really appreciate you doing that and, and interviewing you know the many people over this next month, and it was really, really great. So thank you, Josh. Absolutely. Getting ready to jump into some other church law issues. Got some great announcements coming up here shortly, so uh, make sure you tune into the next episode because we're going to have a whole lot to talk about. Oh, yeah. Hey, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Law & Church. Make sure you check out lawandchurch.com for all the resources, show notes, links. Everything is available for you there. And if you'd like to connect with us, go over to facebook.com, search the Church Esquire Club. There's all sorts of opportunities for you there. And thanks so much for joining us. We will see you next week.